This is Porter Block. I'm a New York-based musician, and I also am a huge music fan. This podcast explores music from every angle, and I'll be talking to people who've made the business of music the focus of their life. Welcome to In a State. Lila Bialy is a gifted piano player, singer, and composer from Canada. Born in Brooklyn, 49. Lived on Lincoln all this time. She's lent her voice and toured with the likes Chris Bodie, Sting, Diana Krall, Paula Cole, and Suzanne Vega. What's so striking about Lila, aside from her obvious talent and her God-gifted voice, is her complete lack of pretense in what she does so effortlessly. She melds pop music with traditional jazz, a song interpreter of the first order, pulling pop songs, well-known ones, through her tightly woven, piano-driven jazz combo. I sat down with Lila early the next morning in her hotel after her triumphant gig. When I sat down with Lila, I wanted to know a little bit more detail about a childhood accident that occurred, a car accident, which disabled her arm and upended her career as a classical pianist. Fortuitously, it gave her the opportunity to explore jazz and her voice as another artistic outlet. At the time, it was one of the hardest things I'd ever been through. But um, How old were you when it happened? I was 15. There was a teacher who kind of got you through it. Talk about that a little bit. Well, yeah, you know, he didn't get me through it necessarily, but what he did was he presented an alternative pathway. The accident was, in, was that summer, and then I um, was moving schools. So I moved from, uh, you know, my middle school to this other school, um, secondary school, and they had a really great jazz program. And he just, he, he, I think he saw an opportunity, like, well, you can, you can continue to play with your left hand. And um, he got me into percussion. And uh, I, had, I, I did not yet really explore singing. It really wasn't until I went to college. But that one event did lead to, um, you know, explorations as a composer, as an arranger, certainly as a vocalist. And, as you mentioned, um, the discovery of jazz as a genre. Joni Mitchell, obviously, is an artist that you have an affinity for. Um, and she was an early genre blender um, uh, as a songwriter and as a pop cultural icon yeah um you still play her cover woodstock beautifully and you did it last night yeah her love of jazz is evident um in her you know recorded works and and like when she was working with um brecker and and um uh jaco pistorius and um and even her nod to mingus right mingus 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 jazz is in the dna of her songs and um, and so even though her recordings are guitar driven, it just was such a natural extension to take her more basic harmony and kind of open it up um, at the piano. 
And um, so I would say of all the artists I've covered, the connection to jazz with her music was the most um, organic. And we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Songs like Yellow, for instance, which you cover, are so well suited. Just the jazz approach to it gives it a completely different, you're in between things when yeah. you're playing Yellow. I think Coldplay, it's just straight ahead. They're sophisticated musicians and, you know, there's some interesting tensions in their version. That's a just, that, the seven you mentioned is sort of very um, defining of, um, within the, the jazz idiom. And, and so I don't think, I don't, I'm quite certain it's not in, the original Coldplay, and that was the sort of my little stamp, like, okay, we're taking this into different territory. <laughs> oh. Look at the stars, look how they shine for you, and everything you do, yeah, they were all yellow. Pushback, uh, like for instance, from either the jazz crowd or the pop crowd, that you're, you know, kind of going both ways. Uh-huh. Um, well, you know, it, it sort of dawned on me that it is the tradition within the tradition of jazz to cover pop songs because songs from the Great American Songbook were at one point the popular songs of their day. And it was like a revelation to me because I'm not the only jazz musician right now, you know, taking songs by more contemporary artists like Radiohead, Bjork, etc. In fact, one of the first concerts that I ever saw, this is like 15 years ago, that really um, made an impression was Jeffrey Kieser, a wonderful jazz pianist. He was in Toronto and I had never heard anyone cover music by Radiohead and Bjork. Incredible. And then I learned later that Cassandra Wilson had been covering more contemporary music for a while, and it was nothing particularly new. But yes, it's like that's, that is actually the spirit of jazz, is to take songs that are already templated, have been written, and they're out there. Um, and I know with the Great American Songbook, um, more people have, have within jazz... I mean, that is like the jazz songbook in a way. But I think it's within the tradition of jazz to specifically take those songs and not just cover them, but to really take them into new territory, to bring them into, especially harmonically speaking. And um, I have gotten some flack, so (laughs) not within the jazz community, but actually from diehard fans of the artists I'm covering. Of course. So they see that material as sacred. And it's like, why? Why would you take this perfect music and and um, sort of 
you know, and dirty it up with your jazz chords. And, and I think they probably feel that I've moved away from the spirit of the song. Look at the stars, look how they shine for you, and all the things you do. Refugee. I was yeah. like, "Oh, great! She's covering Tom Petty." Oh uh, and gosh, then I, yeah. I see you, you, you actually wrote an incredible song about present day times and some of the struggles. Talk about that song in particular. Yeah. So I, um, I take in my news via the BBC Global News podcast, and um, so I had heard a really harrowing report on a bombing in Syria. They allowed us to hear you know, the aftermath of the bombing. It was quite horrible. They described a five-year-old boy um, who had sustained major head injuries. And Joshua, my son, was five at the time. And I just, oh, I was sick over it. And you feel, you're listening to this news, you're comfortable. And, you know, I was actually at a friend's house at the time, staying with a friend in Oakville. I must have had a show or something in Toronto. Just there in my privileged life, and I hear this report... And, it, it, you know, what what could I do to impact things? I felt very powerless, helpless, and it just was a very natural response to go to the piano and, through tears, write a song. And that's what I did, and that was the beginning of uh, the song Refugee. Uh, Satellite, which you covered last night yeah. live is about personal issues I mean so you're you're taking what's going on in your world both personally and mm-hmm. outside and trying to somehow interpret it through your music talk about Satellite a little bit yeah Satellite is a love letter to my son and husband um, I at the time well and I still am was touring a fair bit away from them I try to bring them with me whenever I can but just logistically um, we have had to, as I call it, divide and conquer uh, a fair bit. And so I was playing uh, a show in Niagara-on-the-Lake and really longing for them to be with me to share in the experience, especially after the show. And um, and they couldn't be there, and it was too late to call them. I couldn't even have that touch point. And so I kind of imagined, like, willed them into the car with me using my imagination and uh, and then that song came to mind you know this idea of trying to make contact with loved ones who are far away um, through our own memories you know and how we can conceive of them in our mind um, and yeah so that's what that song is all about I guess your first record of new material was a record called House of Many yeah. Rooms <laughs> And there's a song on that, um, but Little Bird is a yeah, is a pretty that's tough the little song. song for yeah. Satellite, yeah. you nailed it. Yeah, well, so Little Bird um, is uh, another, uh, also a love letter to both my husband and son, but it's it's it takes me back to a time when um, you know Ben and I got pregnant and we were not yet married and we in fact weren't even together when I found out that I was with child and. Uh, and it was really complex. We had a very complex relationship, very fraught. Um, and in a way, Josh was a rival. And not, you know, like the 
recognition and discovery that I was pregnant with Josh um, led to us really getting serious about how we actually felt about one another. You know, all the every everything that had sort of um, been pulling us apart became secondary, and and um, and really. Um, I was able to finally strip all of that away and see the very pure love that we had for one another, as cheesy as that sounds. And so that song talks about how, in a way, when it was Josh. I don't really believe in this concept of one person that you're destined to be with. You know, we talk about the one. I really think that we pave a way forward together. We make choices along the way and you you yourselves determine if you want to be together and make it work. It sounds kind of unromantic. No, I think it's, <laughs> it's very pragmatic. I think it's, I think it's pretty practical. Yeah. You used this expression once. I think your husband came up with it that he gave you the strength to break out of the jazz box. Um, and that's what I meant by orthodoxy. And uh, here you're coming out with a pretty strong, radio-friendly piece of music. Um, that's a big step for you, right? Yeah, it was. And in a way, the reason um, the new album is self-titled is because it feels like finally all the various threads um, from you know music I've explored and arranged and created and written over the years um, are coming together on the new album. Um, and finally coexisting happily and got to love in a way was um, my way of preserving more of a pop edge, which was uh, really present on House of Many Rooms. But what House of Many Rooms, the last album, did, it didn't neglect my jazz roots, but it really moved away from them. And almost too much, as a, especially as a jazz musician, the songs that you write and record really develop a personality as you take them out on the road and and showcase them live and you discover new things about them you did a live record which is something that i love i think is a very is a lost art form that came about we had didn't even intend to make a live record when we performed that night but it was um in the cbc building and they recorded us because that's what they do and then my manager at the time she said you know it's really hard to capture what you actually sound like in the studio. And, you know, again, we've talked a lot about the spirit of jazz, but it's like that energy that you get when there's a, an audience responding and interacting with the musicians, it impacts the sound. There's no doubt about it. And while it tends to often be more flawed and less produced, um, there is an energy to it that, that you really don't often find in, in the studio, unless you have unless you go back to the old days where people were live off the floor. And I think that's actually why Snarky Puppy, to, to reference them again, when they make their records, they bring in an audience and set them up around the band in this circle. And they're all under headphones, so it's a combination of you know, top-level production, in-studio production, but then there's a bit of that energy of having people to kind of respond to as you're seeing them respond to the music and it goes both ways and it's this beautiful interaction are you are you pursuing co-writing are you looking yeah. to work with other yeah you know it's funny it's funny you should mention that because 
Um, on the new record, we actually cut 21 songs in the studio, um, and many of which were co-writes. I had co-written a song with Royal Wood. I had uh, Ron Sexsmith had begun to take on a, a song that existed in a previous form, um, and I wanted him to write lyrics because he's just so brilliant. And uh, and I'd co-written with a, a French singer in Montreal, Sonia Johnson, um, and also uh, Mark Jordan. And none of those songs made it on to this record only because they didn't fit, not because they weren't good enough or, you know, it just didn't, they didn't feel like they were cohesive with the rest. And so I have this body of work already that I'm, you know, revisiting now, but I am, I'm just the road is really where ideas take shape. And I had a seven hour drive with stops between Columbus, Ohio and London, Ontario. And, uh, and that was when I really started to hatch plans for the next record, which I real you know, you have to begin doing that sort of thing when the current release is in its cycle of being, you know, put out there and performed and toured. You have to already be thinking ahead to the <laughs> next record. Yeah. Are you on a, is this a tour? Or are you just sort of um, doing mercenary hits in major cities or how are you approaching No, I love it. There's nothing I love more than touring. Um, and so this has been quite an extensive tour, 36 dates. And then, and then I'm going to be in Europe for three and a half weeks. We have some rules, Ben and I, my husband and I, neither one of us should be away from Josh for more than two weeks at a time. Is it any different for you playing a small room, uh, you know, a storied room like Birdland? And then you also play these giant festivals. I know you've gone to Japan, you've played other, um, much larger audiences and you're in a very small combo what's that like i i love both um and i mean there there is something about the immediacy of the room and the audience when you're in a smaller venue but it's funny when they're eating dinner <laughs> you know a song like refugee i think oh gosh is that too heavy these people are here just enjoying dinner do they want dinner jazz because they're not going to get it and i worry sometimes you know as people were picking up their coats at the end of the night yesterday, actually, at Birdland. Um, you know, it, it kind of, you wonder, oh, was that, was it too heavy? You know, it, it is another platform when you're at an outdoor festival or, or in a pro, like in a proper performance venue, like a soft seat theater. People come and they're there to listen to the music and that is all. That's the experience holistically. Whereas it, Birdland, you're getting you get tourists, you get people who jazz tourists, and they <laughs> and they go there and they want to have a nice meal and just take in some jazz. But I know that my music, for better or worse, is kind of demanding. And so while we've been touring across North America and actually the U.S. in particular, this new record, we've been in a lot of separate clubs. And I actually have asked my band for their Change opinion. Change the set a little or not. Well, I haven't really. In it, but I do. I have asked my band, like, is Refugee too heavy to be serving up as people are, you know, having the, the lobster bisque? Or what? Like, is it just, is it going to give them indigestion? Is it too much, you know? And I mean, really, I actually am not saying that just tongue in cheek. I've I've wondered if it's too intense. Um, it's not. If you too go dark. down a dark hole for yeah. a, a song or two, yeah, I think everyone knows it's going to pick up and and, right. and well, it did with uh, with the crew you had last night. Yeah. This is amazing. So I have. <laughs> Thank you for having me. 
I want to thank Lila and Surefire Entertainment for allowing me to see the show, giving me the opportunity to talk to her about her music and her life and what she does. My name is Porter Block. You can hear my music on Spotify or iTunes or any streaming service. I want to thank you, the audience, for listening. We take a lot of time and care in putting these things together, and we hope you enjoy. So remember, if you're listening to this, you're in a state. In a state of status.